And welcome to the conclusion of our series for, for Love and Impact. And we began this series by, by t- addressing the two main questions that all of us need to address at, at one point in our life or another to be able to walk with full confidence. And, and that is, number one, who am I? In other words, what is, who has God made me and created me to be? The second question that's all important is, what am I here for? Who am I and what am I here for? And what is the purpose that God specifically designed me for in this time? I believe you all have been created on purpose for a purpose for such a time as this. That God doesn't make mistakes, that he made you on purpose for this purpose for here. And we need to be able to discover what that purpose is. It's so important for us to do that. Paul addressed these two questions in a letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth way back a couple thousand years ago. And in that letter, he specifically began to speak to our identity as believers. And he said that each one of us as believers, not just those who are called, and I use those in quotations, the word called, that's what we church speak for those who are called to ministry. But he specifically said all of us who confess Jesus as Lord and make him Lord of our life, all of us are given the title of ambassador. That means that we are all called to be ambassadors or representatives of the King of Kings here on earth. That Jesus said in, in John, the book of John, he says, hey, I'm leaving. And then he says, it's better that I go away because you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And then you'll become my witnesses. You'll become my ambassadors, our representatives of the King of Kings. What, what a job description, what a, what a title, what a responsibility. Then Paul says in in 2 Corinthians, he goes on to describe the job or the job description of what an ambassador is. And he says, in particular, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago, he said that our job is to persuade men and women to set aside their differences. That that's part of our job, to persuade men and women to set aside their differences. How many think we got some work to do? Like, I mean, come on, we live in a society that encourages differences, that is, that is celebrating differences, that is trying to find more differences and find every excuse as to why to be different and to separate. And yet our job as Christians and as the church is to persuade men and women to set aside their differences, not as the church to add more differences or to create more differences or to separate from everybody else, but our job is to persuade men and women to set aside our differences. Now that, that is a, a daunting task. That was a daunting task 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote it. That's even more daunting, in my opinion, today, because I think with social media, come on, there's there's ever more reason to have differences and for people to separate and, and to separate themselves. And it's a daunting task. It's a daunting task to do that in the world. It's a daunting task to do that in your workplace. It's a daunting task to do that in your neighborhood. But come on, let's let's just be real. We're human beings. That's a daunting task just to do with my kids. With your kids in your home, our job is to, set, you know, to make sure there's no differences. Come on, anybody else have kids like that? Come on. Right? That's hard enough to do in your home, never mind in the world. Okay? That's also, Paul began the letter in Corinth, to, to, to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, I believe it was. He said, he said hey, I've got a serious concern to bring up with you. And he says the serious concern that he had to bring up with the church was, I want you to get along with one another. In other words, before he ever gave them the job description of ambassador and their job is to set aside the differences, to help set aside differences in the world, he says, we need to set aside differences in the church first. 
That before we could ever be parallel church out there, we need to be parallel church in here. Before we can ever come alongside people in, in the workplace or in their communities, we got to come alongside with each other here. And Paul said it this way. He says, I want you to cultivate unity. Which that word cultivate means you're going to plow some rough soil sometimes. You're going to have to set, establish the soil to receive the seed of unity. He says, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to chip away at it. And that even though there's differences, and I'm, I thank God for all of you and for our church, and there's a mosaic of differences and, and opinions and all that it, just in this room, and I celebrate the fact that we fight for unity, that we stand together, that we can, we can, we can align even when we don't agree. Come on, that, that's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And Paul, Paul said this is, this is a mandate. This is important to him. He wrote that to the church in Corinth. He wrote that to the church in Galatia. He wrote that to the church in Ephesus. And John wrote it. And James wrote it. And, and Peter wrote it. This was a major focus on the early church. In fact, the book of Acts is a historical book written by Dr. Luke, kind of you know, giving us a layout of the, of the planting or the establishing of the church in the first century, and it kind of records all these things. And what I love probably most about the book of Acts and what I so appreciate about the Bible is that the book of Acts doesn't hide their mistakes. It doesn't hide their arguments. It doesn't hide their disagreements and paint a, a rosy picture that everything was so easy and so perfect. I don't know about you, but I am grateful that the Bible mentions Moses' weaknesses, that the Bible mentions David's fall, that the Bible mentions Noah's mistake, that the Bible mentions all these guys that, and doesn't give us any picture of a perfect human being other than Jesus. And I'm, I'm grateful that the book of Acts talks about the arguments and, and the fights between Paul and John Mark and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Peter. Paul seemed to be a hard guy to get along with. <laughs> But it mentions all these, all these arguments and the separations and the debates in Acts chapter 15 where they, they sat and argued and wrestled with all that. I am thankful because I am thankful that there's imperfections all throughout the Bible, that it doesn't candy coat it and make it easy. And the reason why I'm thankful is because that means that I can be imperfect too. Aren't you thankful that we can make mistakes and God still uses us and God still loves us and God, I'm thankful that we don't have perfection to live up to because none of us could ever reach that. But in all of the mistakes and all the arguments that, that are happening in the book of Acts and the foundation of the early church establishing all of this, the book of Acts records multiple, multiple times this sentence and this statement showing me that they were, this was a focus, that this is something that they really were intentional about. It says this in Acts chapter 4, and this is the second time. Acts chapter 4 is, is written uh, when still the church at this time was in Jerusalem only. Hadn't spread out from Jerusalem yet. It was just in Jerusalem. And at the time of Acts chapter 4's writing, historians estimate that there's probably about 15,000 people in, in the church, 15,000 believers in Jerusalem, which is a, a significant church. No kidding, that's a significant church. But this is what it writes about that church in Jerusalem. It says this, the whole congregation of believers was united as one. That's a miracle in a small group. That's a miracle in my home. 
Never mind that being a miracle with a congregation of 15,000, at least 15,000 believers. We're united as one, one heart, one mind. And this says this in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 starts with, they were all in one accord. Right? Acts, Acts chapter 4, they were of one heart, one mind. This was something that was recorded. This is something that I recorded multiple times through the book of Acts. And this doesn't say, this doesn't say that they never argue, they never disagree. In fact, Acts chapter 1 is one of the funniest, I don't know, I, I, I chuckle every time. Acts chapter 1, just, let's, let me just tell you Kelly's version of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 the, the, the disciples and the 120 are waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. They don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to look like, what it's going to be. They're just, Jesus told them to wait, so they're waiting. In the midst of the waiting, Peter gets bored. Surprise, surprise, it's Peter. Peter gets bored. Peter has a brilliant idea. He looks around and goes, hey, wait, Jesus called 12 of us. There's only, you know, Judas killed himself. There's 11 of us now. We need to, we, 11's an awkward number. We need 12. And here's what we're going to do to replace Judas is we're going to roll out the blackjack tables, roll out, we're going to gamble. We're going to, we're going to cast lots. We're going to gamble. And we're going to, and whoever wins blackjack today is going to be the next apostle. Which you look at this and going, like, Peter, hey, stupid. Like, no. And I'm thinking, come on, I'm, I promise you, just knowing the disciples, I promise you, John rolled his eyes. The rest of the disciples looked at each other and like, really? And we know it's a dumb idea because the one who won, we never hear of again throughout the entire book of Acts. So like, it didn't work. And yet, and yet, all of that, with Peter being stupid, all of this kind of stuff going on, and yet Acts chapter 2 starts with they are all in one accord. It means that they aligned even when they didn't agree. And that's a miracle. Look at how one heart, one mind they were. It, it goes on, it says this, they didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it. They shared everything. Everything? It says they shared everything. Man, I've read this for years. I've read this and I've, I've felt, I ain't that holy. I, I've given my life for the church. I love my Jesus, but that's pushing it. Nobody else? Come on, don't look at me with your holy faces like. I don't, I mean, Pastor Ralph doesn't share ice cream. Like, he sends me pictures. He, he brought it up. He, he sends me pictures of, look what I brought back from Montana for you, and then eats it all. So Pastor Ralph... Then he, shows, then he shows up on, on Instagram, shows a picture of him eating, and I'm like, I text him, I'm like, is that mine? And he sends back the wide-eyed, whoops. <laughs> oh, anyway, it's good. You still owe me, by the way, I think. <laughs> but they shared everything, Pastor Ralph. They shared everything. Like, this is a big deal. They shared, they shared everything, which, which I'm looking at going, man, how, how, like everything, how does this work? And the reason why, looking at historically, and again, I've, I've done deep dives into the early church and been studying in the last couple of years, and there's a number of things that really made the scriptures come alive. And one of the things that I began to realize in, in studying the early church 
is, is I never, the Bible never made a big deal of this, but what, historically, whenever someone became a believer, they were, they were risking their lives to become a believer in this time because Christianity wasn't tolerated. It was persecuted. It was hated. It was despised. They were risking their lives. They were risking their freedom. They were risking their family, and they were risking their business. Because nobody wanted to do business with a Jesus follower. In Roman culture, you were an atheist. You, you were unlucky because you cursed the gods or you, you seemingly cursed the gods. And so nobody in Roman culture wanted to do business with you. So here's the thing. This is, this is what's amazing. If I met Pastor Ralph downtown, I'm in early church, and I met Pastor Ralph in his business, and I shared my faith with him, and, and and he decided, I want to become a Jesus follower. And, and he, just, he prayed the prayer and he just committed his life to follow Jesus. I know, I know that when he prays the prayer and he commits his life to Jesus, I know he's putting his family at risk. He's putting his life at risk. He's putting his business at risk. And I know, and I feel this responsibility, this burden for him because now we're part of the family. And this is why they shared everything because everyone was putting their life at risk because persecution can sometimes make us stronger as a group. Isn't that true? Can make us tighter. And, and you can see and you envision the early church under those kind of pressures, they band together because they were all each other had. And they are all putting everything on the line so they were more willing to share. Look at this. It goes on to explain what they shared. It says, the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of, of the master Jesus. That is the Christian message, by the way, is the resurrection, okay, Jesus. And grace was upon them as God's unmerited favor was on them all. And so it turned out that not a person among them was needy. Wow. When I read that not a person among them had a need, which is a miracle in, in a group of this size. It's a miracle, in a, especially in a group of 15,000, but it's especially a miracle because the early church, again, historically, it came in a class system. So there's the nobles and the upper class and the, and the really wealthy, and then there was the lower class. There was no middle class. There's no in between. You're either upper or lower. And the church began to thrive in the lower class. It wasn't actually until a number of centuries later that a bishop was named or a bishop, was a leader, was appointed from the upper class. Like this, it didn't reach the upper class right away, meaning that when, when the church began to spread, it began to spread among the poor. And the poor were needy. And yet, even a greater testimony of the 15,000 people, the vast majority, if not all of them, were poor when they entered. And yet, the miracle of miracles is that there was not one of them as a group in need. So I was like, wow. And then it goes on, it says, this is how, this is how it happened. Those who owned fields or houses sold them and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and made an offering of it. And the apostles then distributed it to each person's need. Now listen, I used to think, I used, and I've been taught, and maybe you have too, I used to think that, they, that everyone, all the Christians sold all that they owned and, then lay, and gave it. But that's not necessarily what it's saying. It doesn't say that they sold all they owned. Is that some, they just sold a piece of land or an extra or something that they had, and they sold it, and they brought the offering to the apostles, and the apostles distributed it to, the, to their need. And the reason why people did this is because those who had 
realize that the person that I just led to the Lord could possibly lose his business and commerce and income and all the rest of it. I feel the responsibility of the family unity that was going on. And they took care of each other, which is amazing. Isn't it inspiring? In fact, listen, I, I read this. This is, this, is, this is written in 150 A.D. So, so Acts chapter 4 that we just read, Acts chapter 4 was probably, it, the events it's recording is probably 40 to 50 A.D. Okay, in Jerusalem, in that time. A hundred years later, Justin Martyr wrote this in the church 150 A.D. about the church, and in particular how the Christians worship. This is what he said. On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place. They have church. Okay? Just like this. And the memoirs of the apostles or the writing of the prophets are read. The reason why it's called the memoirs of the apostles and the, and, and the writings of the prophets is because they didn't have the Bible yet. Okay, the Bible wasn't compiled yet. It wouldn't be compiled for 300 years. All right, so the Bible's not compiled. So what they had is just the letters that Paul wrote, the letters that Peter wrote, the letters that John wrote, and the prophets. And somebody would stand up and read either that letter or they would read you know, what one of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. And they would read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president, which is the term that they use for, for the pastor, the president verbally instructs okay, and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So the message, just like this. So how we're doing church, this is 2,000 years later, how we're doing church, we're doing it the same. Isn't that cool? Traditions, like we're, we're doing it the same way they did. Then it says this. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people assent, saying amen. And then watch this. Okay, so it sounds like this is kind of communion. But listen, through this text and other texts, what the church would do, the early church would do, is they would conclude every single service with a meal. That communion wasn't just a little cup of juice and, and a bite of bread. That, that communion was a communal meal. Because, and they would eat a meal together and watch what happens. After, okay, it says the present like my prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability. People sent. There's a distribution of each. And a participation of that over which thanks has been given. And to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. So whoever missed church that Sunday, for whatever reason, their meal would be sent to their house. Isn't that cool? Right? And they, who are well-to-do and willing, give what each thinks fit, and what is collected is deposited with the president, who secures the orphans and the widows, and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want, and those who are in bonds, and the strangers sojourning among us, and in a word, take care of those who are in need. And in a word, take care of all who are in need. In other words, in other words, they would do a church service just like this. They would conclude with a meal together. At the end of the meal, they receive an offering just kind of like we would do, except that their offering would come in and it would be distributed. The apostles would then see if there's anybody in need due to sickness or loss of employment or whatever the need would be, and they would distribute the offering to those in need so that, according to this, according to Acts, that it distributed to each person in 
need. But there was no need among them. Isn't that cool? No? I think that's cool. I think that's, that's church. That's, fam- that's the family of God. Can you imagine? Man, I have a dream. I have a dream that there's no need among us. Come on. If there's no need among us, a parallel church, there's no need among us. Paul would write to Timothy. Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul, his overseer, would write to Timothy and instruct Timothy on how to pastor and how to lead and how to set up the church and what what to do. And this is what Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy. He said this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. Now, now watch. Paul is writing in a time that those who are rich would come in, and when they are rich, they're probably rich because of their business. They're probably rich, you know, they, and, and rich would be relative in, in those days. But they would, they'd, be, they'd own stuff. And so Paul would say, hey, listen, tell them not to trust in the certainty or the income of what, what they've been dependent on because just by becoming a Christian, that's going to be uncertain. Tell them not to trust in that, but instead put their hope in God. Now, now watch. This applies to us today hugely because, did you know, because, you're, I mean, many of us read this, command those who are rich and going, Phew, that, that discounts me. That's not me. Because no, no matter how much money you have in the bank, you don't think you're rich. There's always somebody who's richer. Right? So we all think we're not rich. However, come on. If you are here Today, and you have an, a household income, not just, you have a household income of $36,000 or more. You're in the top 6%, I think it's 5 or 6% of the richest people on the planet today. So that applies to all of us. Yes? It says, command those who are rich in this world not to put their hope in wealth. Now, come on, we live in an uncertain time. Don't we? As if the last three years has shown us anything, it's shown us that we can't trust banks. We can't trust governments. We can't trust health care. We, we can't trust, come on, we can't trust the economy. We can't trust our employers. Come on, if, if, if we, the thing that is causing so much Angst in our society today is that people no longer know what to place their hope in because everything has proven to be uncertain. In a moment, in a moment, economies can crash. In a moment, jobs can be lost. In a moment, you know, stocks can crash. Like we've seen, we've seen, we've, in our life, we've seen this. And because of that, this instruction that Paul gives us is so applicable for us. Don't, hey, don't put your hope in Governments. Don't put your hope in your bank account. Don't put your hope in your stocks. Don't put your hope in, in, in your employees. Don't, like, don't, put your, don't put your hope there because that can be shaken. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, God's our supplier anyways, and God's not against us being rich and having stuff. Not at all. Paul's saying it's not wrong to be rich, He's, but he goes on. He says this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. There's that share again. This is what he's commanding them. Be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may have hold of the life that is truly life. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying that when we give, whatever you give, it may leave your hand, but it will never leave your life. Because he says when it, when it leaves, he says you're investing in a treasure, an eternal treasure in heaven. That when you give and you're willing to share. You know what Paul's also saying? Paul's also saying that there's a difference between having riches and being rich. Being rich is being generous and willing to share. We are about to receive our annual year-end, what we call legacy offering. And we call it the legacy offering because, because it, follows, it follows this scripture where we're leaving a legacy that is, that is eternal, that we're storing up riches in heaven. But we're also, we're also listen, as Parallel Church, the offering receiving isn't going to go to this building in any way. It's not going to go to any equipment in any way. The offering that we're receiving, we're going to give away. We're not just going to say we come alongside. We're going to do it. Is that that's okay? Last year, last year we received an offering like this, and I believe around one hundred thirty-nine thousand dollars came in in this offering, and we gave it all away. All of it, gave it all away, and I'm going to show you a video of where that went and what your generosity did in this last year. Come on, you should be so proud. Take a look at this. Last December in 2021, we received our first legacy offering as Parallel Church. We took our church vision for love and impact and put it into action by giving away the entire donation. The total amount collected was $139,267 and was designated to be distributed in four different areas locally to our Parallel Church Sites communities, nationally to LifeLink Network, internationally to Esterholm in Africa, and finally to the expansion of My City Care. Locally, we chose to honour some of our frontline workers and first responders for the exhaustive efforts they had put out that year specifically and ongoing. Because of your generosity, we were able to take $34,816 and hand out specially selected gifts to 158 correctional officers, 100 HS members, and 171 fire hall staff and PSCC dispatch workers in the Lethbridge area, as well as 33 AHS members in Tabor, 142 first responders in Okotoks, and 10 first responders in Clairesholm. The delivery of these gifts was visibly impacting to the receiving workers as we gave value to the work they do and gave them encouragement to know they were supportive and cared for. Nationally, we were excited to be able to share an offering of $34,816 with LifeLink Church, whose vision is focused on building churches that advance the kingdom. With the money given, LifeLink was able to help contribute to the dream of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho to plant 30 churches by 2030. They were also able to help bless Lift Ministries' goal of breaking new ground in Pakistan. Because of your generosity, Lift Ministries will help develop leaders and churches in Pakistan. Internationally, we had the opportunity to connect with the Esther Home in Kenya and give them a total of $34,816. We were absolutely amazed at what they were able to do with those funds and how much of a difference they made in their community. With just this one donation, Esther Holmes was able to build a new office, an extra room for the orphan girls, 
a new home for the housing manager, an extra one-bedroom house, install drip irrigation on their farms, plant much more food for the girls and to sell in the markets, buy a year's worth of food for the Esther home, give feminine hygiene products and bookmarks to over 400 young girls, hire a tutor to help pregnant girls keep up with their studies while out of school, and hire an extra social worker to help with outreaches. This is another example of how financial support can impact so many areas of a ministry, from meeting practical needs to planning for future growth and expansion. And finally, we were able to give toward the expansion of My City Care in both Alberta and British Columbia. With a total of $39,000, the funds were parted out to help the individual communities in their programs, as well as launch new locations. We were able to support Penticton My City Care as well as Calgary My City Care through ongoing mentoring and in the execution of their Shop of Wonders both last Christmas and the Christmas of 2022. My City Care Medicine Hat, Brooks, and the Gate Church in Lethbridge received startup packages, signage, donation bins, marketing materials, and staff support to ensure successful startups in their local areas and churches. Emergency hampers, hygiene, and clothing supported street store events in communities such as Brooks and Medicine Hat and Claire's Home. We supported the Gate's first ever event, the Summer Fam Jam, with free food, event sponsorship, and volunteer support. We launched My City Care Medicine Hat's office and set them up with their own clothing racking and outdoor banners to be self-sustaining and run their very own street store events. We hired staff and covered production of resources and materials to increase organizational capacity to equip and train new sites and run My City Care programs within their own communities, including professionally created manuals for all of our seasonal campaigns, brand guides, social media packages, and press release templates. We produced our first ever My City Care Masterclass, invested in the production of staff skill development and training videos, and created new media-based content to assist in building awareness for our programs. With the generosity and care of those who participated in the legacy offering of 2021, we can see that our capacity to love all and impact the world expands exponentially when we come alongside each other. With the combined efforts of a few, imagine what we could do with 100% participation. If every person gave, even just a little, the possibilities are endless in changing the world. Come on, isn't that cool? Man. Because of an offering just like this last year, the impact around the world, we had no idea. Come on, I had no idea until uh, about a month ago that we had sowed into Pakistan and pastors and churches and leaders. I had no idea. That, that left our hand and it started to multiply. I, I, we also, through My City Care, we expanded My City Care into 660. 60 different communities and expanding. It's, it's unreal what's happened through my city care. Just put that in perspective. We only have, we're all, we have churches in five communities. That means we're partnering with other churches, coming alongside other churches and equipping other churches uh, to, with packages for my city care. And we have on a pretty much a weekly, nearly daily basis now, we have churches from all over the place that are impact. Can we do that too? Can, we, can you help us with that? Can we do that in our city? And, and so, man, it's, it's exciting to see. Jen set a goal last year, and I looked at her, I was like, are you sure of, of, of ministering to 40,000 individuals through my city care this year, which is a substantial, substantial jump from the year before. And to date, I just looked at the number yesterday, to date, we have already helped 40,006 people, and we are still at the beginning stages of, of Shop of Wonders. 
That doesn't include the 80,000 meals that we've helped through Mindful Munchies in feeding 80,000 meals to students in the schools. On top of that, because of, because of what we did through Mindful Munchies and through My City Care, the, the province just gave us a grant of $150,000 to feed eight different schools in Tabor in 2023. Which, come on, like, it's exciting. And then you see what the, what the Esther home did with all that kind of stuff. I was like, that's just a fraction. They sent us a video that was like 22 minutes long. Of, and it was quick of them going, and we did this, and we did this, and we did this, and we did this. And then I thought, that, remember that video? We showed it in March of what they did. And we're like, wow, you did a lot. And then they sent more pictures last week of the building being finished and the staff they've hired. And they started, they started talking about all the other stuff they're going to do. And going, man, throughout, throughout Africa, we're having an impact from an offering just like this. In Pakistan, we're having an impact. Across Canada, we're having an impact. We're having an impact in Lewiston, Idaho. So in the United States, we're having an impact planting churches. Come on. This, this is the legacy stuff that we're talking about. And this year, we're going to receive an offering in just a few minutes, again, in the same way. And, and this year, we're, gonna, we're, we're basing it off of this scripture because the precedent of an offering like this is established right from the beginning of the church. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul wrote this. He said, regarding the relief offering for the poor Christians. Okay? He, he says, that is being uh, collected. You get the same instructions I gave to the churches in Galatia. In other words, this is an instruction that went out to all of the churches that Paul was responsible for. He says, a relief offering for poor Christians the Corinthian church got it, the Galatian church got it. Every Sunday, each of you make an offering and put it in safekeeping. Be as generous as you can. In other words, they received a relief offering in order for them to make sure that there was no need among them. So here's what we want to do in, in our, our relief offering, our legacy offering today. Is we're going we're gonna to divide it into two categories. Based on what we just preached, and this will be the categories that we, this is Jesus' instruction. The first category is the love one another's. Jesus instructed us, gave us a command, not a suggestion, a command in John 13 to love one another. The early church did that by making sure there was no need among them. I have a vision that in parallel church in 2023, there's going to be no need among us. So what we're doing, and listen, I, I, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a, a financial expert or, or it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to, to see the times that we're in with the interest rates, the tax hikes that are about to come, uh, the, you know, the inflation and all the things that are going on and the statistic that I read not that long ago that 68% of Canadians are within $200 a month of bankruptcy. Yikes. The carbon tax coming is going to eat that all up. Like, I mean, come on. It's crazy, and the pressures and looking at this and going, the potential of needs among us increasing in the next year are huge. So what we're going to do is we're going to receive, in this offering, we're going we're to set aside a portion of the offering that is received today, and we're going to put it in a benevolent fund, and we're going to designate it for those within our church that come on hard times, just like the early church did, following what they did. We're going to receive offerings from all of our campuses, and any need among us, there's going to be no need among us. Amen. 
The second category, the second category is the least of these. Jesus gave the instruction to the, to the church to feed the hungry, to uh, give drink to the thirsty, take care of the sick, the homeless, the imprisoned, and clothe the naked. He gave instruction to the six great needs, and we are going to continue to meet the least of these and follow those instructions and, and be a church that does that. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to take the least of these offering, and we're going to divide into three categories, and we're going to give the first category, we're going to give back to the Esther home. Is that good? I think, I think it's fantastic. They have proven with beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're sowing into good soil and they took a little bit of money and multiplied it exponentially beyond our expectations. And we also have become aware that there is, there is a great need that, that is coming in their area, that there's, the, there's a, an, an, a slum that's being established just around the you know, corner from where they're at and thousands and thousands of of people are going to be in there, and they want to go in there and begin to minister to the needs in that area. And so they have a great vision to expand uh, their ministry. And I was like, "Man, you guys have proven with a little. Come on, we can give them more this year. Uh, let, like they have proven with a little that they're going to do this. So we're going to give to to them to the Esther home. The second area we're going to give is to my city care, and we're going to continue to see that we're, we're seeing it. Like I said earlier, we're seeing so much need." We're seeing increasing need. We're seeing other churches wanting to come alongside. I have a vision that the Church of Canada is going to take its job back, that we're going to see My City Cares or ministries like My City Care in, in, in communities all across our country, that the church is going to become the center of hope, that what people are looking for most is hope. Just talk to anybody that has volunteered at all. Any of you that have volunteered at all at Shop of Wonders in the last week and the stories you're hear, hearing, come on. The needs are increasing. The hopelessness is, is out of, and the church, this is an opportunity for the church to rise up and saying, we have the hope. His name is Jesus, and we're following his instruction to take care of the least of these. So we're going to expand my city care and, and, and continue that. And then thirdly, um, we're going to give to, my, to Not For Sale. And we haven't talked about Not For Sale a whole lot. Not For Sale, for those of you who might not know what it is, is a ministry my wife started um, uh, 2010, 2009, 2010. And it is, she had a vision and a heart to, to rescue underage children from sex trafficking. And we began in Cambodia, opened up a home in Cambodia. And then six years ago, we decided that we were going to move the ministry into Mexico and, and began all the preliminary stuff to get all that set up. What we did not know until a year ago is that, is that the Mexican government, <laughs> uh, we, we, we knew this, the Mexican government has been incredibly difficult uh, to work with and not giving us a license. And we didn't know, and, and so we haven't talked about not for sale because we didn't have a license and they weren't giving us a license. What we didn't know, the reason why they weren't giving us a license is that in 2015, there was an orphanage in Mexico that burned to the ground and many kids were killed and there was lawsuits that went into it because they found out that the home, the orphanage was being operated illegally without a license and the lawsuits were, were extraordinary to the government. So the government has been extra resistant to giving another license. Well, three weeks ago, we were the first ministry in Mexico since 2015 to be granted a license. Yeah. 
And we've been working with social services. We have, we have staff ready. We have a home ready. Everything is ready. And so in the early, early 2023, we're going to have that home full of girls rescued from the sex trade, which is amazing. Underage girls from, from trafficking in Mexico, which is great. Also, we just recently had another ministry approach us um, that is wanting us to work with them. And they have already established ministry in which they work with the local police, social services, foster care system, and through all of that, they, they um, work a way that we can set up safe homes in Lethbridge. And so in 2023, we're going to be working towards that. And also, we've already had talks and working with Esther Home and their ministry because they take in girls who, who get pregnant and, and need education, all the rest of it. Now they're doing preventative work, and they're basically they're saying, hey, um, we could, we're doing it. We're reaching the same people, not for sale, and Esther Home could work together, and we could set up another, another not for sale home in, in Africa as well, in Kenya as well. Isn't that cool? So in the offering we're about to receive, a portion of it's going to go to, to the benevolent fund of taking care, making sure we have no, no need among us. A portion of it's going to go to the least of these, which is going to be the Esther Home, My City Care, not for sale. And, and we're going to see. And what we also set up for you is we set up a, a, a page on our website. So you can go to parallelchurch.com forward slash legacy. And at that, on that page, on that page, we're going to give regular updates of the money that's come in and what's happening. And regular updates is what's going on and what, and give an account for the money, money and where it's been and what's it, what it's doing. So you can see reports like you just saw on a regular basis, and all of that. Isn't this you excited? Come on. I don't have I don't have a dollar amount in in mind as to what we're going to receive today. I know you're generous. I, I don't have a dollar amount in mind. What I do have in mind is, is participation. And imagine, just imagine with me, imagine if all of us, it says command those who are rich, imagine if all of us to be generous and willing to share, imagine if all of us participate in one way or another, small, large, doesn't matter, whatever is on your heart, whatever you can, imagine the, the impact we can make, and which leads us to our takeaway, which is simply this is together, together, together. Let's unleash the difference-making power of collective compassion and generosity. Amen? Because we are parallel church. We're not, we're not just going to talk about it. We're doing it. Coming alongside. Amen? So I'm going to invite the ushers to come. The ushers are going to bring baskets that are going to come to the front here. And in your seats are our pledge cards. And, and which gives you a, a number of ways that you can give on those cards. You can give cash, check, whatever you can give. Uh, you can give through uh, debit and, and credit cards. You can give through online. Or you can say, well, I'm not prepared to give today, but we're going to open up this month, the month of December, as our Generosity Legacy Month. And for the rest of the month, we're going to just say, if you want to give, you want to just pledge in there and saying, this month we're going to give. Um, we're going to give this amount, and you're not able to give it today, but you know this month you can do it. Just put on there a, a pledge amount, and then bring that card up. And as the team begins to, to, to sing us an amazing song, 
just get out of your seats, bring your gift down, and let's, let's leave a legacy and make a difference. Let me pray for you in this offering. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for each one here. I thank you for the generosity in the hearts, Lord God. I thank you for the ministries. Lord, I pray for Esther Holm in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for, for, for even the needs among us, Lord, that we be aware and be able to meet them and, and give us wisdom in doing that in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I pray for my city care and its expansion. Lord, exponentially, we're just we're believing for, for exponential expansion in, in 2023. Lord God, we thank you for not for sale. And we thank you so much for, for the miracle that, that was the, the, the license. And Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that you're setting that up for success. Lord God, give us wisdom in navigating that as well in Jesus' mighty name. Bless each giver as your word promises we give that you can give back, pressed down, shaking together, running over in this time and the time to come. Lord God, that those who lend to the poor are lending to you. I pray a blessing on each one in Jesus' name. Amen.